Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Josh Davis is back, continuing to reveal the fake Jesuses many of us follow. Best-selling author and teacher Jonathan Kahn will be the featured speaker at our upcoming Columbus, Ohio Prophecy Conference, October 26th through the 28th. You can get all the details and register today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can visit swrc.com and simply click on Events. A special hello to all of our new friends who are listening for the first time today. Whether you're listening on the radio or online, if you're new to Watchmen on the Wall, be sure to request your free new listener pack. The pack includes a welcome letter, history of the ministry, the latest issue of our Prophetic Observer newsletter, and a free gift. Get your free new listener pack by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. And we're excited to announce that you can now hear Watchmen on the Wall on two brand new websites, OnePlace.com and SermonAudio.com. More ways to access the Christ-centered clarity that's needed now more than ever. Friends, did you know there are some common misconceptions of Jesus that destroy our faith and cost us a vibrant relationship with the genuine Jesus? Josh Davis is here to help you and I Find the authentic Jesus. Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Patton, joined again today with staff evangelist here at Southwest Radio Church talking about Josh Davis. We ended, I think, the program yesterday talking about just one instance, one person who has really helped with you, and you kind of tied it to us and our ministry coming out, the invisible war on the saints and the fight of the spirit world, and it is really intensifying now. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It is. I think that Satan is unleashing everything that he has. I believe he knows his time is short, and he's trying to seize this opportunity. And I see in America that there is some good, and it seems like that there are people who are waking up to some of the evil and some of the depravity that we've been under. And I pray that that continues, but I think Satan notices that. And so he's unleashing everything he can against Christians I don't know if I've ever in my ministry talked to more people, uh, and I'm talking about Christian people, who feel discouraged, who don't feel close to the Lord, who aren't sure where to go or what to do. And Pastor Greg, I don't know if, if the same thing is true for you, but it just seems like there are more and more people who are battling, whether it be a personal spiritual struggle, the spiritual warfare, or as a group, as a local church, or as the church in general. It's everywhere, and it's churches. Everybody that I talk with, all the interviews I've been doing for Southwest Radio Church, somehow I get in there, that question mark about the demonic and its activity today, and every person that I have uh, shared thoughts with and talked to, they say it's getting very bad. They believe also Satan is working overtime, Jesus is coming soon, and uh, just get ready. The question, I guess, is what we do at a time like this with such an onslaught of evil and question marks from politics to just the world today. It is just unbelievable what's happening out there. Absolutely. And Pastor Greg, you know, just 
I don't like to blame everything on the devil because I know that we have our own faults and, and frailties and things that we battle against. But even just a few weeks ago, I was trying to prepare for a radio segment and it's like my words wouldn't come out correctly. And I was trying and restarting and deleting and everything. And I just had to stop and I always pray before I do it. But I had to stop and just really spend some focused time praying, God, help me to get these words out clearly. I, I sensed in my spirit that it was a spiritual warfare thing that was going on. And I just prayed to the Lord and asked him to give me victory, give me deliverance, give me help to speak these words clearly so that I can articulate your truth, Heavenly Father. And and God just helped me through that. And I felt such a, a peace come over my soul. And I was able to get the message recorded and get it sent in and, and sent out. But I know that that uh, battle is real for not just people who are serving in ministry, not just pastors who are preaching sermons, uh, but for all Christians in our walks of life. Let me ask you this. In the second half of your book, you ask the question, what kind of God is Jesus? And then you present some common versions of the fake Jesuses. And one of those I think a lot of people deal with, we have since we've been saved. My wife been at it almost 50 years and uh, six kids later, Christmas time and Santa Claus. That's one of the fake Jesuses. Yes, I labeled it the Santa Claus fake Jesus. And I blend together my story with scripture and for the Santa Claus fake Jesus I use John chapter 11 where Lazarus is on his deathbed and Martha and Mary call for Jesus to come and they send a messenger to go to where Jesus is and and Jesus is several miles away from where they are at this time at their home in the town of Bethany Martha and Mary and Lazarus And so we see that it must have been a sudden illness that came upon Lazarus. So they send this messenger, and Jesus tells him, hey, this sickness is not unto death. And that messenger has to be so excited, so happy, he comes back. What does he discover? Lazarus is dead. And he's got to be scratching his head thinking, what's going on here? Jesus told me the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, and that Lazarus was going to be okay, and here he is dead, and everybody's weeping and crying. And so there are times in our life that we can't figure out what Jesus is doing. And so I call that the Santa Claus fake Jesus, because we often approach God with preconceived ideas of what he ought to do in our lives. And I did that in my own life to briefly summarize the story I shared yesterday. When I was a senior in high school, we were given a task to write down 10 years from now. So by the time you're 28 years old, what do you envision your life looking like? I knew it. I knew it. I knew exactly what the next 10 years of my life were going to be, Pastor Greg. And I was going to pharmacy school. I was going to make plenty of money, have a nice house and all the things that a good job could afford. You know, basically, I wanted the American dream, Uh, the house with the white picket fence and the wife and the kids and the cars and the vacations and the fancy meals and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted the American dream. And I said, God, I'm on your nice list. Look, I go to church. I read my Bible. I say my prayers. 
I'm a nice person. I give X percent of my income in the offering plate at the church, and I'm doing all the Christian things. And here's my Christmas wish list, like you'd send it to Santa Claus. Now, Lord, you make it happen. I'm on the nice list. Now, you make these things happen the way that you want them to happen. And and so basically, I turned that into an idol in my own life. Instead of living for God's will, I wanted God on my terms. I wanted God to do what I wanted him to do instead of living for the will of God. And so when Jesus, in John chapter 11, arrives in the town of Bethany with Martha and Mary, Lazarus is dead, they both asked Jesus the exact same question. And they, they posed it as a statement instead of a question. Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Jesus, where were you? We needed you. We called for you. We thought you would do a miracle, but you didn't do it. And so Jesus often does unexpected things in our life that hit us out of left field, really. And we don't know what to do and where to go and where to turn. But the amazing thing is Martha and Mary were at a crossroads. They could have turned to Jesus, which they did, and praise God for that. But they also could have made the decision to turn away from Jesus. In other words, when Jesus showed up in Bethany, they could have said, wait just a second, Jesus. We called for you. You didn't respond when and how and where we thought you would. You're not welcome here. Uh, we're going to go a different route. Please go back to wherever you came from. We're not interested in you anymore. You didn't help us out how we thought you should. We're done with you, Jesus. They could have done that, but they didn't. And praise God that they didn't because they decided to welcome Jesus even when they didn't understand what he was doing. The amazing thing behind all this is, Pastor Greg, that Jesus received more glory by doing the miracle that he did. And if you're familiar with John chapter 11, you know that Jesus raised Lazarus back from the dead. So he answered their request to heal Lazarus, but it didn't happen how and when and where they thought it would. And yet through it all, the disciples' faith were strengthened. Lazarus was healed. Martha and Mary, their faith was strengthened. Many people were saved. Many people turned to Jesus for salvation in the Messiah after they saw this miracle. And what a, an amazing thing that Jesus accomplished. And at the end of John chapter 11, you see the Pharisees arguing about Jesus. And that's when they decide we've got to get rid of him. We've got to put him to death. So the amazing thing is, even through this miracle, Jesus advanced his kingdom mission. The cross came into clearer focus on the other side of this miracle. So God does things that are much greater and higher. His ways are not our ways, Isaiah tells us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he has a bigger picture. He has a bigger plan. And when I came to the end of myself, that was one of the best days of my life when I came to that place and I allowed the Santa Claus fake Jesus to die. And I thank God for that day in my life. And that's just one of many fake Jesuses that I discuss in the book. And I'm so grateful for God giving me the opportunity to overcome that Santa Claus fake Jesus. Today we are blessed to be listening to Josh Davis, staff evangelist at Southwest, talking about his book, Fake Jesus, which is available at Southwest Radio Church at swrc.com, or you can call 1-800-652-1144. Again, 
swrc.com, 1-800-652-1144. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, giving it all to Jesus. Joss, talking to you again and hearing some of your thoughts there, I recall one of my associate pastors in years gone by really decided I'm going to get serving Jesus. And it was wonderful, but almost immediately, terrible things began to happen. And she said, I do not understand this at all, Pastor. I've really sincerely given my life to the Lord, and now it's worse than it's ever been in my Christian walk. Can you identify with that? Yeah, there are those seasons and there are those times. And, you know, God may have various purposes for that kind of season that comes into our life. It may simply be because he's trying to refine us. It may be that he's trying to draw us ever closer to himself. It may be that he's setting up the stage for something greater on the other side of that trouble, on the other side of that. And I think we see Jesus doing that with his own disciples. And my mind goes to Mark chapter 4, for instance, when Jesus is in the boat and he's asleep on a pillow, the Bible tells us, and the disciples go and try to wake him up. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care that we're going to die? And all Jesus has to do is to stand up and say, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. The wind stopped. It all was perfectly calm. And I think Jesus was trying to show his disciples there is a better way. There's a way that you can have rest in the midst of all the chaos that's swirling around you. And you see a little bit later in the Gospel of Mark that the disciples are in the same body of water, back in a boat, back at the middle of night. This time, Jesus is not in the boat with them. He's standing on the shoreline, but his eyes have never left them. That's the amazing truth. They can't see Jesus with their eyes, but Jesus has his eyes on them. And I'm so glad that when we face situations like you were saying, Pastor Greg, where we can't see Jesus and we don't know why he's allowing certain circumstances in our lives and it seems like the bottom is falling out of our life when we're just trying to live with him and to serve him, that he still has his eyes on us. The disciples get stuck in another storm on the same body of water, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water at that time and delivers them safely through. I think he's trying to teach his disciples there, and it's a lesson that we can all learn as well, that, hey, I am with you. Immediately for his disciples, the, the 12 that were in that boat, he was getting them ready for when he would ascend back into heaven after the resurrection. They still couldn't understand the cross. They couldn't picture that he would go to the cross and die, and yet he's already getting them ready for the time when he ascends back into heaven. And so Jesus knows what he's doing. That's why it comes back to faith. It comes back to trusting him, resting in the Lord. When Jesus was asleep in the boat in the middle of the storm, he was showing them, you can rest in the Father no matter what happens to you, no matter what comes around you, because he has you in his hands, he can bring you safely through the storm that you may face. Chapter 8 of your book, Chapter 9, Fake Jesus, Josh Davis here. God there with that big club ready for you to get out of line, or does he just 
not really care how you live. What's your answer to that one? Yeah, and many Christians have this misconception of God. I've spoken specifically about that here on Watchmen on the Wall a few months ago, speaking about what I call the guilt trip fake Jesus, that we have this view of God as if he's in heaven with his arms crossed, constantly with his brow and his eyes with an angry disposition on his face, and he is just angry towards us, waiting for us to step out of line so he can correct us and bring us back in line with where we ought to be. I think the essence of the guilt trip fake Jesus is the spirit of legalism. You quoted Galatians 2.20 earlier. That whole book of Galatians exposes legalism. It's a gospel issue at its core. And they were compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace. And because of that, legalism can creep in And it's very insidious because it appears as if it's very spiritual. You know, reading your Bible and praying and all these spiritual activities, that's very good. That's very noble. But legalism subtly shifts the motivation for why we do what we do. And so, for instance, in the book, I talk about Bible study as an example. And so if you approach Bible study as if, oh, no, I've got to read my three chapters today. I've got to check that box. And if we don't get that box checked, then I'm not right with God. God's not going to love me. God's not going to care about me because I didn't check that box today. And so it becomes a system where we're just focused on checking boxes, completing religious tasks. We're not focused on drawing closer to the Lord. Bible study isn't focused on what can I learn about Almighty God today? How can I draw closer to Jesus today? It's just simply focused on completing a spiritual task. And that's why it's so dangerous, because it leads us down a pathway that's fueled by fear instead of by love and driven and motivated by a fear of God, not a healthy fear of God, but an all-out being totally scared of God. If I step out of bounds, if I don't dot every I and cross every T, God's going to be angry with me. No, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. So I wrote to expose the guilt trip fake Jesus and to reveal, as the book of Galatians does, the authentic Jesus in and through that. I was saved out of a a life of uh, radio and television. And uh, when I got saved, again, pride such a big factor in anyone really in the media, especially the secular side. I just told God, you really got something here because I am good. And I am going to be able to do stuff for you on the radio. Who knows what? And I really had that attitude. I kept waiting for him then to do something. Believe it or not, uh, the number I think is critical. I went seven years, nothing. And when I got to the point, well... And I think Bill Gothard at one point, he wasn't the author of it, he was close, Death of a Vision that he talks about. And that for me, it just all ended. Okay, then that must not be what you have for me. And I quit. And all of a sudden, every door began to open. And my world really came alive back in the media, which is something I love. And I think that's really it. It's dying to self. I, like many Christians, have this problem of leaning to my own understanding. I've learned a few things in life. So I'm just, you know, God, I can take care of this one. I can handle it. Realizing we need to constantly. We can't. That's an element of pride in your life. And you just got to give it to God. Absolutely. Pride is one of the things that I wrestled with and 
although pride can be such a subtle enemy of the Christian walk. And I think sometimes Christians put on an air of false humility that can actually be rooted in pride. I think Moses is an example of that. You remember when Moses was in that first period of his life, the first 40 years, the book of Acts, when Stephen is giving his defense right before he is stoned to death, he describes that Moses was a man that was mighty in words and in deeds. And so he grew up with the best education, and I feel like he he felt a burden for uh, leadership, and God has put me in this position so that I can lead the people out of Egypt. And he tried it at 40 years old under his own strength and failed miserably. Then he goes to the backside of the desert for 40 years, and he starts to give God that excuse when God appears to him in a burning bush. God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I tried it and I failed. That false humility, I think, was still rooted in pride, and he didn't deal with the pride that was in his heart. And and finally he did, and, and God allowed him to be able to be used the last 40 years of his life in a way that he'd never been used the, the previous 80 years of his life. And so pride is that very subtle enemy that we certainly have to deal with completely. So we've been talking for two days here now about the fake Jesus. So I'm sure that many out there would ask the question then, if it's the fake Jesus, Josh, how do I find the real Jesus? Well, I think with every single fake, I try to point out who the authentic Jesus is. And we find that through Scripture. That's why I love the Word of God, because it is so rich and it has the answers there for us. We just need to open it up and to see who the real Jesus is. So with each fake, we can find the genuine. We can find the real Jesus. And it comes at a real understanding of what the Scripture has to say to us. Any more stories? You told one basically yesterday, and you said several people have gotten back with your reference to your book after reading it, how it's helped them in some way. There's been many people that have told me some variation of the thing that You know, I never considered that scripture from that way. One man that I've been friends with for a number of years, a a middle-aged man, said that, you know, he'd always wondered why Jesus did certain miracles that he did on the Sabbath day. That's one of the things I point out in one of the chapters in the first part of the book, trying to show people that Jesus is God, talking about the claims of Jesus to be God, and why did Jesus do these miracles that he did on the Sabbath day? I don't think Jesus ever did anything unintentional. It wasn't just happenstance. Everything that Jesus did was on purpose, even down to the day that he did some of these miracles. And so he chose to do certain miracles on the Sabbath day to force people to make a decision on who he is. Is he God or is he not? You see, Jesus would be violating the Sabbath law if he is a man doing the kinds of work that he's doing. But if he's doing it as a representative, or can we say it this way, as an agent for God sent by the Father to do this work, then he is doing the work of God. You see, the Jewish tradition said that man had to stop working on the Sabbath day to remind themselves that It's God who is always at work. God doesn't stop working on the Sabbath day because if he stopped, the whole world would fall into chaos and everything would just cease to exist. 
But God is the one who continually keeps things going and keeps things moving and keeps this heart in our chest beating. Even while we're dead asleep at night, we don't have to think about our heart beating. It's God who keeps us going. So when Jesus did these miracles on the Sabbath day, he's showing them and forcing them to come to a decision Am I an agent of God? Am I representative of the Father? Or am I just a mere man? And then he performed the miracles like he did, healing a woman in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, or whether it be the man that was sitting by the pool waiting for the angel to come and trouble the water. And he said, nobody puts me in the water. And Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk. And he was healed immediately on that Sabbath day. And so everyone had to decide, is he an agent of God or is he a fake? And I had a friend write to me saying, I never really understood that. I never understood. That's why Jesus did these things on the Sabbath. But when you begin to study Scripture and you begin to understand why it's there and and why the author put it there on purpose, it helps you to see that Jesus didn't want people to remain neutral. He wanted them to decide, who am I? Am I God? Or am I not? And to the people who say, well, there's a middle ground here. Absolutely not. Jesus didn't leave that door open for anyone. He didn't intend to leave that door open for anyone. He said, either you're with me or you're against me. There's no second ground. It's not Jesus plus other gods. It's either Jesus is God or he's not God. We can't pretend that it's one or the other or both. And no, we've got to decide. And when he does these miracles on the Sabbath, he is forcing people to decide, is he sinful or is he the Savior? There's no other option. We've got to choose. Either he's a sinner by breaking the Sabbath or he's the Savior sent by the Father. Staff Evangelist, Josh Davis, Southwest Radio Church, talking about fake Jesus. You'll want to hear more. SWRC.com. 1-800-652-1144 to get your copy. And uh, Josh, we get to hear you in person coming up, what, in Des Moines, Iowa, Columbus, Ohio, big meetings in the days ahead. Yes, sir. And I'm certainly looking forward to being there. And I hope many of our listeners plan on joining us there. It's going to be a wonderful time of encouragement and information and enlightenment. I have learned much just listening to you, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing here on Watchman on the Wall. Well, thank you, Pastor Greg. I appreciate your time and your ministry as you're serving the Lord there as well. The complete two-day presentation, Fake Jesus by Josh Davis, is available today on CD. Get your copy when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Fake Jesus, the new book by Josh Davis, answers the often asked questions, is Jesus God? If he is God, what kind of God is he? Part one of the book examines questions like, is Jesus merely a myth? Who did he claim to be? How did he verify his claims? And is he truly God? Part two of the book exposes fake Jesuses, such as the Santa Claus fake Jesus, the business partner fake Jesus, the guilt trip, cool parent, political hero, storm god fake Jesuses. Why are these fakes? And how can we find the authentic? Author Josh Davis answers these questions with a blend of personal stories, biblical truth, and apologetic evidence. Order your copy of Fake Jesus today. 
Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.